Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we wrap up the series called The Undivided Self. Pastor Tim brings us a message where we look at what it means to be an undivided citizen. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Yeah, my name is Tim, and uh, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, if it's your first time at South Harbor, or the first time in a while, um, I hope you discover a community here. I hope you uh, discover, uh, we, we go through things, like all of us, we go through things, and uh, in those seasons, uh, it often feels really lonely, and um, we wonder, like, if I were to share this story, will I be okay? If I were to share this struggle, will I be okay? I have learned to trust this church, and I hope that what you discover is as you share more parts of your own stuff, uh, that you, you learn that there's a community here that um, may be different than the community you find at work, or even your, your, some of your friend groups, uh, like we're guarded, and we talk football, and we talk the weather, but we don't talk about anything deep. I hope you discover that our church community is, is seeking, at least, to, to be a place where we are safe. We um, can be our authentic selves, and um, our, our biggest goal is that we are spurring one another on, we're cheering one another on uh, to do the work of discipleship, um, to actually do the, to the disciplines and lean in and say, okay, how do we um, look more like Jesus? How do we live more like Jesus? Um, but if you're new with us, that's a little bit of who we are. I, uh, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, we um, every week we preach a message, uh, we study the scriptures. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 8 this morning. We are, it's an Old Testament book, 1 Samuel 8. Uh, we are wrapping up our teaching series that we are, we've called Undivided. And we, um, we have our home life, we have our work life, our school life, we have our social life, and we have our spiritual life. And um, we have all these hats we wear, and often our spiritual life can feel like just another hat that we wear. It's the prayer devotions church hat. And we put that hat on and we come here and then we take the hat back off and then we do something else. Um, however, as followers of Jesus, this has been the premise of the whole series, uh, is that what we understand as a follower of Jesus is that our spiritual hat is not just one we take off and put on, but um, our spiritual life is all of our life. Uh, the way our followership to Jesus, our apprenticeship to Jesus should impact our marriages and it should impact our work and our school and our friendships. Uh, and so we've been working through that. Um, did you know, by the way, uh, you may or may not know this, but the word spiritual is never found in the Old Testament. There's actually not a Hebrew word for spiritual. There's a word for spirit, um, but there's no Hebrew word for spiritual. Uh, to the Old Testament mind, to the biblical mind, uh, there's no such thing as a spiritual life. There's just your life, and uh, God is in all of it. And so to separate our spiritual life is, like a, is a brand new concept, that we would have our spiritual life and then our secular life or our social life. Um, but for the biblical mind, all of it's spiritual because all of life is spiritual, and God is present in all of it. And so really the question is, how are we surrendering the aspects of our life to God? Uh, this morning, we're looking at a, a biggie, um, everyone's absolute favorite subject to talk about, especially in church. We're talking about politics. I know, groan. I know, I'm with you. 
I'm with you. Uh, next week, we're going to begin a new series and really talk through the disciplines and the practices. But today, to wrap up this series, I want to talk about politics. Uh, we all want a leader. That is true. We all want good leadership. We all want a leader. Um, but how is it that those of us who are Christians engage in that process as uh, citizens of this country? How do we do it? How, um, how do we engage in the conversations that seem to be pulling our nation apart? Um, that is the right question, isn't it? Like, how do we do this work? Uh, what's our role? What do we do? How do we show up? Uh, how do we navigate the relationship between we, you and I are sons and daughters of the heavenly king and citizens of the kingdom of God. And you and I are citizens of the country that we love. How do we navigate that tension between those two, uh, American citizenship and our citizenship to the kingdom of God? Uh, how do we pledge allegiance to Jesus? And also, how do we pledge allegiance to the country that we love? Uh, these are the questions. And then what do we do when we see things that are wrong, immoral, dehumanizing? Uh, do we say something uh, or do we bite our tongues so as not to be divisive? You feel that pressure, right? You feel that tension. Um, as Christians, how do we engage in politics? That's, that's what I want to think through with you this morning. Uh, it is admittedly delicate terrain, okay? This is delicate terrain. Uh, I'll do my best not to make problems worse, but uh, this is admittedly delicate terrain. Um, and uh, if it's your first time with us, I apologize for that, kind of, uh, kind of. Um, I, I really do believe that this is a conversation, politics is a conversation that's consumed a lot of our media for the last, at least the last decade, if not going back 30, 40 years. And I believe that the church, I believe God cares about this stuff. Uh, I believe that you find this throughout the scriptures and uh, it's important for the church to, to join God in having the conversations that our whole world is having and ask the questions, how do we do this as Christians? And it's also a delicate subject. Uh, it's a tough one. Um, you just say the words politics, and you can feel the anxiety in any room raised. When I was a kid, we were uh, taught that there was three subjects that were taboo. Sports, religion, and politics. And uh, you hear that ever? Sports, religions, don't bring those things up. And yeah, what I find around our dinner table when we have people over is it's quite easy to talk about sports, actually. People don't hold it that close to their chest. Um, I can have a, a friend group that are sh Chicago Bear fans, and we can still have a conversation, and we can laugh, and it's okay. Uh, and I can, uh, honestly, around our dinner table, it's quite easy to talk about faith and religion. People seem to have deep questions about all of it, and whether they're Christians or not, like, we've got good conversations about faith and religion. And yet, politics is its own beast. Uh, politics is the one subject that you, you can have the conversations with close friends, but as soon as you don't quite know where people stand, if you bring up politics, you just, you're just really careful, and how do we talk about this stuff? Uh, and there's a certain anxiety we carry with politics, and that's true every year, but... Um, like every election cycle, but the last 10 years, that's been especially, at least 10 years or so, it's been especially true. Uh, can you remember an election cycle that was as heated as the last one? Ever that season? Right? It, we were in the middle of a pandemic, election cycle. Uh, and if, if what seems to be playing out right now is, continues to play out, uh, this is maybe, or maybe not good news to you, but we're about to tune in for the sequel. <laughs> like all sequels, if you 
watch movies, every sequel uh, tends to take all of like the jokes and the antics that, that were somewhat irreverent in the first version, and then they crank the volume up on those. We may have that. Uh, so like Home Alone 1, they leave Kevin at home. Home Alone 2, they lose him in a city. Right? Like it just gets bigger. Uh, Predator, like Arnold's got to fight an alien. Then you have Predators, he's got to fight a whole army of aliens. Like that tends to be the sequel. It just ramps things up. Other than, uh, most sequels aren't as good, to be honest with you. Uh, other than uh, Top Gun Maverick, which was excellent. Uh, most sequels just aren't as good and it's just a little bit louder, a little bit more like intense. And uh, if you remember four years ago, we may be up for the sequel and we know what's coming. Um, we, you, know, you already can anticipate what's coming, right? There'll be this side, we'll say that that side, uh, if, if you vote for that side, the world is coming to an end. And then that side will say, well, if you vote for this side, the world is coming to an end. And this side will say their guy is the Antichrist. And this side will say, well, their guy is the Antichrist. And then there's like a third group, by the way, neither of them the Antichrist. But then there's a third group, at least I don't think. Uh, then there's a third group who just keeps saying, well, either way you vote, we're going to lose. If you vote for, you need to vote for a third party candidate. Like we need that to be part of our system. And then both these sides will jump on that guy and say, you don't understand what you're doing. You're throwing away your vote, man. Don't do that. Like, by voting that way, you're, give, you're essentially giving the team we don't like uh, the win. Feels like a lot, like a lose-lose, right? You, you, you feel that. There's the name-calling. There's the panic, the tension, the fear. Um, every once in a while, you got to step back from politics and realize, no, this is not a TV episode. This is real life. You feel that. Election stress in our last election was claimed to be the highest that we've ever seen, at least uh, since we've been monitoring those kinds of things. And they're already predicting that this next election cycle, it started a little bit earlier, and they're predicting it's going to ramp up a little bit more. We're still in the early phase. Uh, there was a poll that was conducted uh, kind of in the heat of things last election cycle. And uh, the poll, uh, one, one interesting part of the poll, so some parts were obvious, right? Like some people you poll preferred President Trump. Some people that they polled preferred President Biden. Uh, that's obvious. Um, but what was interesting in the poll was they asked the question, um, they, got, they got this response. They said, both groups agreed on this. Now, at least 94% of people who asked said that if the other side wins, they hold great fear for the, the future of our country. So 94% of us uh, are carrying some level of anxiety, uh, we start there. Let's start with that anxiety and the tension and the fear that uh, maybe the majority of us, at least a low level, feel. And what I want to try to do in the few minutes we have this morning is offer a framework that has been helpful to me anytime I think about politics. Okay, sound good? Okay. Take a deep breath. Take another deep breath. We're all friends. <laughs> Remember that. Uh, I like you. Hopefully you like me. Uh, we'll be okay. At the end of this, we'll all resume our regular programming. Uh, we will go, we'll all eat chicken wings and watch another sequel no one's interested in, the 49ers <laughs> and the Kansas City Chiefs. Ugh, uh, but we'll do it. We'll watch that sequel. Um, we were so close. We were so Close. I can't, I can, I am just beginning to be able to talk about it. Uh, we were on an airplane and watched the game because we were flying back from vacation and we found, we had to wait till we we're 
out of overseas waters and we could watch the game. We got over New Orleans and we were able to watch the game. And uh, the first half was so pretty. It was so pretty. And then uh, we saw the end of the game in customs. Uh, it's uh, one of my, my best friends. I love the Lions, but my friend Jeremy Cruz, like you want to see somebody... That man loves the lions, and I thought he was going to cry in customs, and we'd have to explain why an adult man is... We were so close. Anyway, let's talk politics. <laughs> it's it's easier, easier than that. Uh, let's talk politics. I want to give you a framework that has allowed me to hold all kinds of hope when it comes to politics, even in a, a contentious election cycle like we're probably bracing for. Uh, and to do that, we're going to look at an Old Testament story of uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, this particular story, the one we're going to read, uh, is about a man named Samuel. Samuel uh, lives about a thousand years before Jesus. Uh, and Samuel, uh, when he lives, it marks a pivotal turning point in the nation of Israel. Uh, Samuel is, uh, at that time, he is part of a nation known as the Israelites. The Israelites at the time of Samuel, when we first meet Samuel, were led by a group of military leaders known as judges. So we hear judge and we often think like robe and, and military leaders, uh, but they led the nation. But the ideal of the judges was there was no organized form of government at this point. Um, there are simply military leaders uh, who are leading on behalf of God. But we, what holds us together is that we all are followers of God. And then God uses military leaders. God uses the judges to kind of help uh, keep moving the nation forward. Samuel's the last of the judges. Uh, Samuel chapter 8 is a turning point. Everything before Samuel 8, there is no organized government. Everything after Samuel 8 is kings and rulers and politicians and government. Samuel chapter 8 is the turning point, the moment when is the Israelite people decide we really need a king to lead us, like everyone else has. Here's the story, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, like right here, uh, Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow your ways. Appoint a king to lead us, like all the other nations have. By the way, does this sound familiar? Like they look at this guy and they're like, okay, uh, we're looking at the options for leadership here, and we don't like what we see. We want someone else. We, we, Samuel, your sons aren't leading like you. Your sons are, ex they're only interested in money. Your sons are accepting bribes, and your sons are somehow justifying the bribes that they're accepting, and we're afraid of what's going to happen if they take over. We, so they cry out for the word in the scriptures is change. We need something else. Um, sound familiar? This is politics. Like oddly reassuring that 3,000 years ago, they had the same kind of issues that we have. Uh, 3,000 years ago, it was, you know, we want a leader. We need a leader, someone to lead us. And so along comes leader A and says, I'll lead you. And we'll take this, this country somewhere. I'll lead you. And the people say, okay, we want a leader. You seem to be a good leader. We trust you. And they begin leading, and they begin doing stuff. And then pretty soon, the people say, ah, we don't really like what you're doing in leadership. We want change. We want a new leader. And so along comes leader B, and leader B says, I'll give you that change. You put me in office, and I'll, uh, everything leader A just did, we'll, we'll, we'll go the other direction. 
And so along comes leader B. The people want change. They say, well, we'll, we'll trust you with that change. Leader B changes things. People realize, ah, we don't really like the change. We kind of liked it back when leader A was in charge. And so then, uh, then along comes leader C, and leader C says, I'll, I'll give you change, the change you want, um, only it's, it's just changing it back. And round and round we go. Simba, Mufasa, Akuna Matata, <laughs> circle of life. Uh, this, is, this is politics, and it's been, I like this, I find it oddly comforting that these issues go all the way back 3,000 years. We all want a leader. We all want a leader, uh, um, somebody that can help us move forward. Uh, I recently got in, hooked on the show Hijack. Anybody watch the show Hijack, Apple TV? Uh, I like Hijack. It's a fun show. The premise of the show is uh, terrorists take over an airplane. And uh, on, I know, it's, it's an old premise. Uh, terrorists take over an airplane, and Idris Elba is a negotiator uh, working with businesses trying to get to some agreement, and he's on the airplane. Um, by the way, I think Idris Alba should be the next James Bond. Hot take. Um, but uh, I, I think he's fantastic. Um, but over a series of episodes, uh, you begin to see that he has to make hard decisions that not, the plane doesn't understand. The rest of the plane doesn't understand why he's doing what he's doing, but you know as the viewer that, oh no, he's trying to actually save their lives and trying to keep the crisis low but what they see him doing is, oh, no, you're working with them. You're work- um, I say this because it's, uh, we all want a leader. It's an interesting show. And he steps into that leadership. And uh, it's an interesting show. And Hollywood knows it'll be interesting to us because they know something about us. We all kind of crave good leadership, non-anxious good leadership. The Israelites demand a king. Look around, they say. Everyone else is a king. We want a king like them. Okay, story goes deeper. Verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people, all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected. They've rejected me as their king. Now, um, whenever you're reading the Bible, you have decisions to make. Uh, what tone of voice do you read that in? Uh, there's a poss- it's possible to read that last sentence angry, like God is saying, it's not you they've rejected, they've rejected me as their king. That's not really angry, I'm smiling while I say it, but, but like you can do it angry. Uh, um, there's a way to read it that way. I, I think a better way of reading this, and again, it's a decision you have to make as interpreters as you read the Bible. Uh, I think um, what emotion is God feeling in this moment? It strikes me that the proper emotion is most likely sadness. It's not you they've rejected, they've rejected me. I say that because notice what he says next. As they have done from this day, I brought, from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing now to you. Um, I love how the NIRV translation translates verse 8. Uh, they say, they are doing just as they've always done. So for God, this demand for a king isn't a political thing. It's personal. It's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. And this is not just the first time they've done this. They're doing what they've always done. Now let's pause here. Um, why is God heartbroken? Observation. It is not because the people want leaders. God is not anti-leadership. The judges were leaders. God used the judges. Uh, God uses leaders all the time. God gives people gifts to be leaders. Some people have, uh, some of you have been given natural gifts to lead, and we need you to use those gifts. God is not anti-leadership at all. 
the reason God is sad is because they want the leader more than they want him. They're more fixated on getting the right leader in than they are on, okay, God, what would you want us to do in this moment? Uh, They're more passionate about getting the right person as the new king than they are about asking him, okay, how should we move forward in this? Are we preaching yet? Uh, The worst part of of the whole thing is, to quote the passage, they are doing just as they've always done. And he's right. Uh, If you go through your scriptures, you'll see again and again, there's this pattern of people trusting uh, people, God raising up leaders, and then people dividing over the human leaders as opposed to seeing themselves as, okay, we're, we're in this together to follow God. And yeah, we may have to challenge some things, but ultimately, let's not divide over those things. Uh, one instance of that is Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, Deuteronomy 1 is a really heartbreaking moment. Moses has been elevated to be a leader. God gave Moses leadership gifts. Moses is exercising those leadership gifts. But then you have this whole moment in Deuteronomy 1 where uh, you see kind of God in the background and God has been pushed to the background by the people. This is Deuteronomy 1, verse 26. God says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents, speaking to the Israelites. You grumbled in your tents and said, God hate, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they said. They, they say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes in the wilderness. And I love this next line. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. Like a father carries a son, God says, that's how I carried you. God says, I carried you like this. I carried you by holding you. I put you in the soft part of my arms when you were weak and scared and I held you. Uh, I was, I, I carried you like a father, like a dad, and you didn't trust me. We all want a leader. Um, that's natural. It's, it's normal. Uh, God gives people le- gifts for leadership. God is not anti-leadership. We all want a leader. Um, But what you find in the scriptures is that God plays the role of leader and is the role of dad. And the danger is when the kids divide um, and forget that we have one father. Uh, We want a leader, but we already have a, a dad. Um, we want often we, when we describe our like perfect leader, we think of a leader as somebody who can keep their emotions separate from the job at hand. It's probably a good way to describe somebody that's detached, someone that's unmoved, someone that's steady. Uh, that's how we describe a good leader. Um, but God, what you discover is a king, sovereign, but he also describes himself as father, as dad. And uh, dads lead a little different than unmoved, unwavering, emotion-free, detached Uh, Dads lead with any parent. Parents lead with love and with care and understanding discipline is necessary, but we also, like, we're not giving up on you. This is not a conditional love. Um, And God says, I need you to remember that. This is what it means to call God Father. Um, It's intimacy. Uh, I've got three kids. Um, They have changed 
they, no, change is the wrong word. They have, they have deepened my understanding of God. Uh, every year they get older, I grow a little bit more in my understanding of God's heart. Uh, I heard one person describe your kids as like your heart leaves your chest and runs around your house, um, and that feels true. Uh, Abram is 10. Uh, Joanna, my second, is eight. And Lara is five and a half. The half is a big deal. Um, she's five and a half. Uh, we're entering into a new era, a new stage of our life as parents. Uh, we are now in, deeply in the sports phase of life. Uh, Abram plays football and basketball and the ski club and plays piano. Not quite a sport, but he's quite good at it. Uh, Joanna, she's our soccer player, and she's, she loves it. She loves running around. Uh, Joanna's the kid on the soccer team that will score the goal and then hug the goalie. So, uh, it, yeah, I love that kid. And uh, Lara, Lara's into ballet uh, right now and, um, and wants to do soccer next year. We're in that phase where you get home from work and it's, okay, what's for dinner uh, and who, who needs to go where for sports? And no, we are not eating chicken nuggets again, right? Like that's the phase we're in. And then at night it's cleanup and it's baths and then it's the whole bedtime routine. You're going to brush your teeth, um, you know, like... Uh, if you haven't taken a bath, take your bath, read a book, say some prayers. Uh, the, we do this every night. And by the way, every night, it's like my kids are remembering that this is what we do every night. Uh, it's like they forgot the routine. Um, but normally, honestly, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm honest, normally we try to rush this process. How much of our lives, by the way, um, the best parts of our lives do we try to rush through? It's, uh, but we rush the, pro- I, I rush, I should say I, I try to rush this process. It's never that much fun in the moment. Um, but every once in a while you have a moment of clarity and you realize, I don't know how much longer I'm going to get to do this. How much longer I'm going to get to hold this little hand and say these prayers with her. We, uh, we have a tradition when we say our prayers. I love this tradition. Um, I will say our prayers over my kids and then I make the sign of the cross on their foreheads. And then I will uh, give them a kiss on the foreheads. My son doesn't let me do that anymore. But I, my daughters, I get to I'll kiss them on the foreheads. And then they will make the sign of the cross on my forehead and give me a kiss. And, uh, you know, you never know. How much longer are they going to let me? Like, is that going to be what we do? And, and at what point will that not be cool to do? Uh, yeah, one minute you're, you're walking with your kids around the block. And the next minute you're walking her down the aisle. And one minute, you're teaching your son how to pull back for a fadeaway. And then next moment, you're um, watching them pull out of the house to move into their own place. And it all goes like that. Uh, I, uh, the other night, I was reading a book to my daughter, Lara, my five-year-old, five-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, and uh, the book is called Love You Forever. You know this book? Um, and so I'm, it's a book, so you don't know the melody. But I was singing the song, and like she was singing it with me. Um, pardon my voice. It goes... I love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as you're live, with, with living, living, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. You know the song? Um, it, you might have your own melody, that's good, that's, that's good. Uh, but we were singing the song, and, uh, and I realized this is my life, and I have never felt so much gratitude. Uh, Jesus, when, when asked by his disciples, hey, how should we pray? We want to pray like all the other disciples, like John's disciples pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus teaches them a pretty radical prayer. He says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. Pray our Father. 
Uh, the, the author and pastor, Tony Campolo, one of my favorite storytellers ever, um, he tells a story of a, of a late night phone call. Uh, and he said it was like 11 o'clock at night and the, his phone rang. And um, because no one else would call at 11 o'clock, he picked up because the like, only people at 11 o'clock that call are emergencies. And so he picks up the phone, uh, rubs his eyes, and, and on the other line, he says, he says hello. And uh, he hears hello from the other end and realizes just the way the hello is spoken, the woman on the other line is in a panic. And, uh, and she says, I'm so sorry to bother you at this hour, um, but I have a bit of an emergency. I have this question. I mean, I, I know, I mean, I'm wondering if, <sighs> slow down, uh, t- Tony said, it's okay, it's okay. I would love to help you with your question. Taking a deep breath, uh, the lady says back, I have a question for you, and I I need an answer, and I know it's late, but I have a question for you. When we die, does God judge us immediately, or is God going to judge us all at once together? And uh, Tony hears the question, he says, wait, what, what? (laughs) 11 o'clock. And the lady very helpfully said the question back, only this time with a little more energy in her voice. She says, when we die, does God judge us immediately or is God gonna judge us all together uh, as a community? When uh, composing himself, Tony says, okay, well, well, ma'am, again, remember this is 11 o'clock. And he's like, well, ma'am, Uh, And he explained to her how God is outside of time, and um, yet Jesus says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the great judgment. So, um, but God is outside of time, so time kind of works different. So he eventually says, I guess it may feel like it's all at once, but at the same time, uh, it it may feel like it's individual. It's like a cop-out answer, right? Um, But tell me, he says, why, why are you calling me at 11 o'clock at night to ask me this question? The lady responds, I know it's late, and I'm so sorry for that, but I have not been able to sleep. Last week, my son committed suicide, and yesterday we uh, had a funeral service, and at the funeral service, the pastor said that, the, that people who commit suicide will not go to heaven. And so I had to know, by the way, shame on him, I had to know, does God judge us immediately or will I have a chance to stand before God and defend my son? Will I have a chance to tell God that he's a good guy and that his depression is not his fault? That is the love of a parent. The love of a parent is any image of God that doesn't look like that, that love of a parent is a distorted image of God no matter what they've told you, what verses they've quoted. Jesus begins his prayer by saying, when you pray, call him dad. Now, this, I say this is radical because uh, every Jewish prayer, Jesus, Jewish, every Jewish prayer had the same beginning. Every Jewish prayer began with the statement, Baruch Atah Adonai Elheinu Melech Ha'alam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Every prayer began with an affirmation that God is king. And that's true. Jesus will say that in the next line. But Jesus doesn't start there. He starts with, God is dad. When you pray, God is dad. I wonder in our passage, the Samuel passage, uh, if that's what's going on in our story. 
We want a leader. There's no problem with political leaders. We need good leadership. But I wonder if God is more heartbroken because he's watching his children divide and knowing where the story's going, watching his kids divide over wanting the leader, the king, more than they want to follow him and stay united as his kids. And uh, when we start our conversations around politics, I want us to at least consider starting there. Um, They haven't rejected you, God says. They've rejected me. Uh, The thing with a, a good dad is they will do anything they can to protect their kids, but they will never abuse their kids. And so God will let his kids choose a path that will lead to their destruction because he'll never force their hand. That's not what good dads do. Uh, And if you keep reading the story, um, verse 9, now listen to them, but warn them, God says, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Warn them. Don't do this. Samuel told all the words of the king to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is, uh, I'm sorry, all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and bakers and cooks. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourself will become his slaves. You hear the heartbeat of God? Don't do it. Don't do it. Trust me in this. It will lead to your slavery. Don't do it. Now, here's why I spend uh, so much time unpacking this one little story. Um, I watch our political climate over the last decade, and I hear the discussions, and I see the posts, same ones you see. And I see brothers and sisters in Christ, churches. I'm actually quite proud of our church uh, and the way we've conducted ourselves by and large. Um, But I see it. Uh, Churches divide over this kind of stuff. Um, As though the our dad who holds the family together is less important than the political party and the president that we like. Um, now, I understand the like, urge to get in. I'm a political, I was a political science major in college. I, I, I love talking about politics. Um, I often put my own foot in my mouth while doing so, but I do enjoy the political talk. Um, but I'm also very aware that uh, I can... If I'm not careful, I can find myself tipping towards fear and anxiety over who or who will not be in office. Uh, by the way, I hope that you never know where I stand on that stuff. I hope you never know. Keep, my, if you do know, then I've done it bad. The guy I hope is to keep you guessing, although I, you shouldn't care. Um, but, but, uh, but I discover myself that if, as soon as that happens, I am putting my, like if I'm anxious about it, if I'm afraid about it, I am putting my ultimate hope in a leader more than God, who tells me that in those seasons of anxiety, I can put my roots in him. He's an anchor for my soul. He carries me in his arms. Um, And the language that the Bible uses for this moment, where you put your hope in someone over God, is the language of idolatry. I know it's a heavy word. Um, 
Now, again, God never stood opposed to human leaders. God was the God who raised up Abraham and Moses and Deborah. Human leaders are good, can be really good, but we have to be very careful at what seat they're sitting in in our hearts. Um, Say it a little bit more bluntly. If you ever find yourself saying things like, if so-and-so gets into office, the world will come to an end, you likely may be putting your hope in the wrong God. And the biblical word for that is idolatry. And I do not give that word to offend. I do not give that to offend you. Uh, It's a heavy word. I say this to myself first. Um, But you know it's idolatry when it has power over your heart. Fear, anxiety, a sense of hopelessness around the political climate, uh, around which candidate gets into office. If it's getting to a heart level, be very careful. Be very careful. Now, with that said, you should vote. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that we get to do that. You should vote. You should vote your heart. You should love your country. You should vote for the candidate that you think will best represent God and values and democracy. Whatever. Like You should vote. Um, but to assume that any particular leader will be our hero or our savior and will fix everything... That we should be careful of. Um, The president is not your savior. This country is not your God. We love our country. We We should respect our president. But they are not our Lord and Savior. That's Jesus, and that's his kingdom is the one that we ultimately pledge allegiance to. We all want a leader, but we already have a dad. Let's not divide over the leader. Now, um, what do we do with this? Uh, Here's another old-fashioned word that has fallen out of favor in churches, even though it was Jesus' very first sermon. Uh, The word repentance. We don't use that word a lot. Uh, Repentance, uh, it's actually quite a beautiful word. Uh, In the Greek, it's the word metanoia. It means to change your mind. That's all it means, to change your mind. If 94% of our country, at least the last election, 94% of the country, vast majority, said if the other person gets in, I'm, I'm afraid. What does it mean for us to change our mind and fixate on something that actually gives us hope? To focus on things that are noble, good, true, and right, as Paul will say. How do we focus on Jesus in the moments where we're feeling that anxiety rise? To be reminded that ultimately it's going to be okay. We serve a God who loves us. He's not abandoned us. He will not abandon us. Now again, next week we're going to begin a series where we're going to look at specific practices because there are no accidental saints. Like nobody accidentally uh, just kind of finds their way through recovery. Nobody accidentally finds themselves with a deep prayer life. Like these things take discipline. Uh, No, God meets us with grace, but it does take discipline and an effort on our end. We'll talk about that next week. But here's just a really practical way to begin that has been good news to me. In the next eight months or whatever we got. Uh, when you're finding, you should stay informed as best you can. That's always good. But when you're finding like anxiety rise, I recommend a short-term media fast. <laughs> like in, just until the anxiety comes back down. Take the 10 minutes you would be sc- like doom scrolling and give that 10 minutes to Jesus. Find a story of Jesus that you love. Uh, do some centering prayer. Just take 10 minutes of silence and give that to Jesus. I think what you might discover in doing that is that uh, the anxiety that 10 minutes of doom scrolling will cause 10 minutes with Jesus is, has the exact opposite effect. 
Like a father carries his, carries his son, so the Lord God carries you. This is why I have great hope in any, any election season, but especially in the next one. Um, my anxiety is quite low uh, because I know that ultimately our God is on the throne always. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires rise and empires fall. Nations come and nations go. But that is true forever. And the 6%, if 94% are freaking out, I think the church can be the 6% of our world who is able to keep our heads a bit higher and hold on to hope. Not, not a disengaged hope, not a delusional hope, not an apathetic hope, but a hope that knows that no matter what happens out here, we've got a dad and our dad is king and it's going to be okay. P.S. God says if you take a king, you may find yourself fighting one another over this particular king. It'll take three generations for that to happen. After Samuel, you have Saul, then David, then Solomon, then you have a civil war, and one nation of Israel becomes two nations of Israel. God said it would happen, and it happens. The danger of putting too much hope and trust in a person is that we may find ourselves fighting each other over people and then dividing God's family. P.S. number two. Not biblical, just uh, remember, political signs in your front yard lead to awkward neighborhood barbecues in your backyard. <laughs> just true, just true. <laughs> Jesus did give us a model for how to, uh, to, how to live, um, and it's uh, centered around a table. He pulls his disciples together, uh, and they're very different. You've got zealots who wanted to, to kill the Romans, and you've got Matthew who works for the Romans as a tax collector, and uh, everyone in between. And he pulls them around uh, in his very last moments with them to say, okay, how are we going to model this to the world? And he brings them around a table, and he says, we're going to find ways to serve each other, we're going to find ways to forgive each other. We're going to find ways to love each other. And so uh, one of the things we, we do at South Harbor is we take communion at least once a month as a way of reminding. This is just like a picture of the great banquet table, but as a way of reminding ourselves that someday all languages, nations, peoples, and tribes will gather around the table of Jesus. And so we get to practice that now. We get to practice that as people with different backgrounds, as people who have different political persuasions, as people who um, see very different ways of leading different challenges forward. We get to come together and say, ultimately, we're united in Christ. We'll love each other. We'll serve each other. We will pray the best over each other, even if we disagree with each other. Um, we have four stations in the front, and then Rob Houseman, Pastor Rob, is in the back sound booth. He'll be walking around. If you would like someone to serve you, he um, or to come to you and, and have communion with you, just raise your hand and Rob will make his way to you. Um, but otherwise, you can come forward. The outside tables have a gluten-free option and uh, these two do not. Um, but if you'd like a gluten-free option, the outside tables offer that. Um, but otherwise, you'll come forward. You'll take the bread and dip it into the cup as a way of remembering that our God has joined us together and he, said, he promised us he would not leave us. Um, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, uh, Jesus, you prayed a lengthy prayer. The longest prayer we have on record that you prayed, Lord, was that you would make us one as you are one. And you said, Jesus, that this is how the world will know that you have been sent uh, by God the Father.
So Lord, would you make us one? Uh, would we be so united as your children that we can lovely, lovingly disagree with each other? Uh, Lord, we can um, engage in hard conversations, but ultimately know who sits on the throne in heaven. And Lord, would we surrender more of the throne of our hearts over to you? Uh, Lord, would you remind us, those of us right now who feel weak, that like a father carries his children, so you carry us. For those of us, Lord, this morning that need to be carried, we pray that you once again would remind us that your, your arms are strong and good. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.